0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to the philip k dick book club in each episode i look at one of the works of philip k dick in rough chronological order and currently we're reading through the stories of 1954 um, in this episode we'll be looking at adjustment team now adjustment team has been made into a movie called adjustment bureau i think i haven't seen it um, I, in fact I, i'm surprised how little of the stuff adapted from philip k dick that i actually have seen i mean probably most of them i haven't seen so i don't really i'm not able to really comment on them those that i've seen i haven't been that impressed with i mean some are really nice visually i think minority report is one but you know what i've seen they, they kind of get philip dick's uh themes wrong now this is a good story though i really like adjustment team i i like it because it's it really begins to lay out his argument about urban planning and about the city. You know, he's often seen as a writer commenting on the suburbs a lot and how the suburbs, it's kind of that banality and conformity and, you know, all these cookie-cutter cookie cutter homes and, you know, fast food and cars and just kind of this plain kind of, and that's all about consumerism and consumption. And he's got all these critiques of it. But he's got some really interesting things to say about the city and I, and I think he he does never really lays it out in one book maybe the penultimate truth is the closest he gets to actually make his book about the city um there's a few others that get close to it um but in the adjustment team and oh there is oh what i'm forgetting one book there the cosmic puppets it could be looked at as a book about some planning too um uh, city planning but adjustment team is is really an effort to do that he he tried in small town to begin to talk about you know the impact of planning on communities and the urban planner as a character what would he be like you know and you know what would a urban planner with superpowers look like and, and that's what we kind of get in small town here in adjustment team we're but talking about urban planning but more in how it actually functions in the real world which is through bureaucracies through agencies um so here we got it adjustment team uh first published in orbit science fiction in the september october issue of 1954. Uh, you can find it in the second volume of the collected stories of philip k dick the one titled we can remember it for you wholesale Um, so let's talk about it It's it's a fun story certainly um it's it's got parallels in i haven't seen adjustment bureau i haven't seen this movie based on this but i have seen dark city of course, which I do recommend seeing. And that has a lot of parallels to this story, I think. Um, now, whether the Adjustment Bureau does this too, I don't know. But certainly, I think Dark City is worth checking out, uh, just because it, it kind of feeds into these themes of the urban planner and the, the group of people engaging in transforming an urban space for their own purposes. Anyways, <clears throat> let's get into this story. So we have a clerk walking... Towards a green stucco house, and he steps into his backyard. He informs the dog there that they'll be adjusting. So he's talking to the dog. He informs the dog that they'll be adjusting section sector T one thirty seven. The dog must ensure that the man in, is in the house that lives there must be in his office before nine o'clock. He can't be there when the adjustment takes place. The man must be adjusted with no. The, the man must be in the building when it's adjusted, and he must be there before the process begins. To be safe, the man will be summoned at 8.15 through a friend who will drive him to work. So it's all being planned. So all these details about the transformation are worked out ahead of time by this bureaucracy, by this agency. And he's, you know, these agents are everywhere. They're in the workplaces. Even the dogs are part of this. So this is just kind of like a prologue to the story. It's only like a page long. So then we meet Ruth and Ed Fletcher. Is are ed fletcher's our main character now they debate who's luckier ruth gets to come home earlier or ed who can relax a little bit before going to the office and this is really kind of heartbreaking that this is what we consider a good and well good life now that just going you know a little bit less work is means we're lucky um now ed gets to get ready to go to work at a leisurely place because he has plenty of time before he has to show up at work Um, now this clerk is preparing for the summons at 814 now remember this guy is supposed to be in his office by a certain time for this adjustment to take place so you know he he says he's going to be summoned at 815 at 814 he's ready um you know to do this But the dog summoned too late, and this sparks fear in the clerk that he's not going to be there in time. This chain of events has been shattered. The friend with the car will not be picking up Ed Fletcher on time, early enough, ensuring that Fletcher will never be able to get to sector T-137 in time for the adjustment to take place. So everything broke down, so the bureaucracy failed. So um, the first thing we see, the first important event of the story is the failure of the bureaucracy and doing things properly, doing things right. So as a result, Ed Fletcher will not be able to be transitioned or adjusted as he's supposed to be. So Ed hears the dog bark, which was supposed to, he was supposed to do that earlier, but he, he did a little bit late. A moment later, he hears a knock on the door. At the door is a life insurance salesman. The salesman successfully sells Ed a policy, which even further delays his arrival at work. He will now not get there until 10 o'clock. When he does arrive at his office, he finds that everything is strangely coated in this gray foam. And when he touches things, it turns to dust. The sun disappears. A cigar salesman is frozen and also dissolves to dust when touched. Inside the buildings, the steps fall apart when he steps on them. So because everything is this fragile, dusty kind of material, he can't even really walk up the steps. The workers in the office are all frozen. And at the same time, he sees men in white robes working. They follow Ed. And he flees the building and the overwhelming grayness. And a few moments later, he's back under the sun in a more familiar reality. And he can only conclude that he's going nuts through this experience. You know, basically, nothing is really right. I mean, if this happened to you, you'd probably think the same thing that you're going crazy. Now the clerk is summoned before the old man. Now, these are the names we get the capital C the clerk or capital. T-O-M, the old man. The, these are, established. they're not really given a name, but these are like figures in the bureaucracy. They're part of the adjustment team. The clerk explains the error that led to Ed Fletcher entering sector T-137 while it's being de-energized. The clerk is charged with locating Ed. He says a single mind wipe will not do it this time because he's likely to tell others of the incident first. He must be brought before the old man and the old man has no choice but to tell the or he tells the clerk that the, another group the watchers another part of the bureaucracy here. The watchers are out looking for Ed and he'll be brought in. So the only way to deal with this is really to bring him before the old man directly. Now normally it seems they just mind wipe these people who might have experienced these things. But since Ed got away. It's a little more complicated ed finds ruth on the street and takes her to a restaurant for lunch and he starts to explain what happened to him so just as predicted he does tell his story to someone else ruth suggests that he's taking his work so seriously that he's having a nervous breakdown and especially when he realized that he'd be late for work he, he starts to freak out ruth walks him back to the office building and everything appears back to normal he enters the office he tells his co-workers that he was sick in the morning he prepares to see his boss mr douglas Ed begins to notice those small changes in the office. Decorations on the walls are different. Placement of desks and items are different. People's clothing are, are changed. There's different wallpaper and different lighting. And when he finally goes to the boss, he finds Douglas. He notices even more dramatic changes. Douglas is younger and thinner. He's almost a different person. or like a slightly different version of the same person, but he's different enough that it's visible and recognizable. Ed runs to the phone booth, but before he can make a call, the phone booth rises into the air. So you get, what is it? Doctor Who travels by phone booth? He, he gets that, it rises into the air. The clerk confirms that Ed is the quote unquote the element in question. Basically the problem that has to be resolved for this transformation that's been done to this sector, sector 137, T137, he's the, the element in question that's to be resolved. The old man explains that he will talk to Ed on his own. Ed, however, assumes that he's dead and he's going to, like, go to the afterlife. He's going up to heaven. The old man, though, tells him that what he saw this morning was due to the de-energization of the building. So, uh, one person who comments a lot on these podcasts, Richard, he talks a lot about uh, entropy being a theme of Dick's work at this time, and I don't disagree with him at all. It's not something I feel the most comfortable talking about because I don't, I don't really quite see dicks work in those ways i i think it's it's really a nice contribution he makes though so if you read his comments with this podcast i think you can learn a lot and get a slightly different point of view from what i have but certainly in this story this idea that you de-energize things and it just becomes fragile and brittle i mean entropy is is sort of a theme here uh stated almost directly uh, on the text so they de-energize the building and its inhabitants and the reason they do this is so that the team can introduce these subtle changes Ed was not supposed to observe these changes though like a mistake in the bureaucracy a chain of events that went wrong led him to not being at work Ed tells the old man that he can consider him adjusted but he can't really tell anyone what happened the old man explains that the changes are being made in Ed's office which is a real estate firm to ensure that a specific chain of events are going to take place so why are they doing this well in In um, Dark City, the changes are done partially just to experiment to see how people will react to different circumstances and different, you know, it's almost like they're scientists or sociologists. Here, they're actually trying to manipulate reality. They're trying to manipulate the chain of events, you know, and transform the world into what they want. So they're more, they're not just changing the city as uh, just to, you know, make small improvements to the city, they're trying to actually affect a change in, in, in broader reality, they're actually trying to change history. Most important is that Douglas had to be younger, because if he's older, he's not going to take a risk in the real estate deal. And this real estate deal is going to lead to the discovery of an apparently alien technology, the research of which is going to bring scientists from all over the world together, which will end the Cold War and risk nuclear war if douglas is too old he's not going to take that risk he's going to be more conservative this land will never be sold the technology will never be found and soviet and u.s scientists will continue to focus their energies on nuclear war ed what can he do ed promises that he's not going to tell anyone what he saw back home ruth assumes uh, assumes that ed came home late because he's having an affair uh but he can't tell her the truth but no lie would convince Ed Ruth that Ed was not having an affair. And just then, a dog barks and a vacuum cleaner salesman enters to show his wares to Ruth. This distraction allows Ed to escape and enjoy a cigarette in his room, to avoid getting you know, yelled at by his wife for having this affair, which he's not having. It seems almost that Ruth at some point was adjusted too, because she doesn't ever refer back to that lunch conversation they had and the, apparently the nervous breakdown she assumed he was having. Anyways, that's the story. Um, So what to say about this? Well, it's important that Ed Fletcher works in a real estate office, I think, thematically here. Now, Adjustment Team gives us a team of bureaucrats who look on the humans with indifference but hold up their... I mean, they, they defend their actions, which are quite horrific. You know, people are having their lives taken away, their lives changed. It's not just their clothes and the stuff on their desk are changing. These people are being fundamentally transformed. But it's justified as part of being part of the greater good. The old man says, quote, Sometimes we wonder how you can go on another period, but it must be done for the good of all, for your good, end quote. Right? The, uh, the idea of an external agency manipulating our reality for our own good apparently our own good is something he's done with dealt with a lot Um, it's certainly the theme in the defenders which is one of his earliest tales but there's other stories that that kind of play with this theme as well they're bureaucrats they don't have names they're simply functions you got the clerk you got the old man you got the friend with the car you got the dog these are all just titles in a bureaucracy that these people have Um, And they have a mission. They have a mission of trying to create world peace, and they'll do that at any cost. This impressive ability to be objective helps convince them that their actions are not only good, but necessary. We're right to mistrust them. Now, Ed Fletcher accepts their wisdom. It's pretty understandable, right? We're always told by bureaucracies, by people in government, by people with more power than us, by corporate bureaucracies or government ones, that... The managerial logic, the bureaucratic logic is, is unassailable and right and every decision they make is for the greater good, right? Those horrible lines we weighed in at the DMV and all of those forms we have to fill out, it's all for some greater good. The first scene in the story between Ed and Ruth is actually brilliant in looking at the morning routine of a married professional couple. In the morning, they debate who has a better life. The limit of their vision is that they debate... Who has a better life? The one who can get off work a little bit earlier or the one who can go into work a little bit later? They don't seem to share very much, so in this way it's a very much a very typical Philip K. Dick kind of relationship, that there's not much really in common between them. Ruth is intensely jealous of Ed, interrogating him at length over his late arrival at his home. He reports to her about these strange experiences, more interesting because it's just a way for Ruth to suggest to add that he's being lazy at work again or to bring in more doubt that maybe he's doing something else right i wonder how many people who have affairs and get caught come up with the crazy excuses i i I hope at least sometimes they do i mean usually the excuses are going to be banal right like i was at work late but i wonder if anyone's ever like told their spouse after they've been caught cheating that you know i was captured by aliens that's why i was out late that that smell that perfume that's that's actually the alien scent or something you know that doesn't seem to happen i I, I hope it happens sometimes though because it would just be wonderful now dick's women in this period of his life often have husbands as a source of kind of stability middle-class stability and sometimes they're adulterous sometimes they're not but you know why does it matter if he's having an affair if their marriage is really this for the stability um anyways i but the main point of this story uh, obviously is about urban planning and and how it's done and why it's done and when i wrote about this in the the book philip k dick and the world we live in my my example or what i compared it to was times square right because that was a dramatic reform of a big part of of new york city and it was sold to the people who live there as as being part of the greater good, right? We're going to clean up the city. We're going to clean up crime. We're going to make it a nice tourist place. People are going to make money off it. We're all going to get rich, and it's going to it's going to improve life. It was done through bureaucracies, right? It was done through little changes, little, you know, short changes over you know over a long period of time. Kind of how the adjustment bureau works, kind of doing things bit by bit. It's done often in undemocratic ways, and scholars have have written about this. And actually, the science fiction writer Samuel Delaney wrote a whole book about this, called um, "What's It Called?" Give me. Let me look it up quick. Okay, it's called "Times Square Red, Times Square Blue," and it's written by Samuel Delaney. And um, it really deals with what he, what he's arguing here is what's what was repressed and what was suppressed in the rebuilding of Times Square was a very vibrant and relatively safe domain for homosexuals. And so it wasn't just let's clean it up for tourism or for profit or whatever. It was also trying to erase a memory of a vibrant subculture. And other examples of urban planning had done the same thing. Uh, The best example historically of massive urban planning by bureaucracy over a long period of time, for the purposes not just of creating better housing or straighter streets, but really for kind of social reform, is is the rebuilding of Paris uh, of the 1860s and 1870s. And if you want a book on this, you want to read a uh, uh, David Harvey's book, *Rebel Cities*, and he talks about like what capital does in cities and what urban planning is really about from the point of view of capital and his view from a Marxist perspective is that when capital really has nowhere to go, when there's, you can't invest anymore, or there's really nowhere for capital to invest itself, you know, in the traditional productive engines, right? That like kind of demands flat because wages have been flat for so long, you know, there's a, a, ga- a gap in aggregate demand. So what is capital gonna do? It doesn't wanna just sit in a bank account. So it ends up going into rebuilding cities and, and inv- that's where it gets invested. And it's he sees it as sort of a dead end for capital and whether it is or not is not really for me to say, but that's how he sees it. So he for him it's more what is capital gonna do with itself and it finds itself remaking cities. But for Delaney, and I think some of the people who looked at like the rebuilding of Paris, it's also about like er, like social reform in a way. So when Haussmann, who was the guy who led the rebuilding of Paris, you know, train changed Paris into the long roads you see now, right? Partially, this was to suppress revolutionary subcultures. There was a series of revolutions in in Paris starting in the 1890s, and then you had 1830 and 1848. And then you had the Paris Commune, which, of course, failed. But, you know, this was there was a series of these revolutions. And part of remaking Paris was to make it more easy to suppress revolutions, make it more difficult for revolutionary neighborhoods to build up. Made it more difficult physically for the barricades to come up because the roads are too broad, right? In old Paris, the roads were much more narrow, so they could be barricaded. Couldn't barricade these big highway-style streets. So that's that's kind of where we're at with Adjustment Team, and it's it's a it's a story about urban planning and justifying really horrible acts of of replacing communities of destroying individual lives of of forcing people to live lives that they probably wouldn't want to live if they had a choice doing all those things for ju- under the justification of of some greater good right in this case it's world peace but usually it's it's let's make the safe city right or let's let's get rid of this poor housing and build something new right or let's end crime if you've seen the wire, I mean, the wire is actually quite good on this, especially the third season of the, of the wire in which, you know, you have the destruction of these high rises, lower class government subsidized high rise apartments, which were full of the drug trade. In fact, I, like the drug organization in, in that show, the Barksdale organization, they made most of their money from the towers, right? Which you don't actually see much of what goes on in there because they spend more time on the street, but you know, it's, they they say again and again that's where most of the money's being made, in in those towers. They get torn down though in the third season, and all that happens is the drug trade moves to different places. It doesn't actually fix anything, but the mayor is able to say, look, I'm fixing our city. I'm you know destroying this blight, you know, and I'm going to replace it with low cost, sustainable blah 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 housing. And green urban reforms do the same thing, right? They say we need to destroy our cities and make them sustainable, right? We need to put in bike lanes or green rooftop agriculture and, and they all live in apartments and all these things and I worry how much democracy can be a part of the decisions that are being made when you're talking about changing a city I mean should cities be more organic and is part of being in a democratic civic space like a city should be you know Murray Bookchin an anarchist writer certainly thinks that the city needs to be an organic kind of unit it, it can't be planned really it you know and democracy can't be planned it has you know it needs to be a certain scale it needs to be human scaled certainly it needs to be relatively self-sufficient it has to have its own institutions and kind of civic life has to emerge from the city itself not from a bureaucracy that's imposed on the society now how much of this d- dickhead in his mind I don't know but he certainly has a bee in his bonnet about the urban planner I think you see it in small town you see it here you see it in a few other stories and you certainly see it in cosmic puppets and the penultimate truth so it's in his mind that this kind of the undemocratic urban planner transforming our our existence so anyways that's what I want to say about it um, but there's other themes here too like the middle class family shows up again um, with Ed and Ruth adultery being you know as always, with these relationships, adulteries in the backdrop. Now, Adjustment Team was made into this movie called Adjustment Bureau. I, I really can't say much about it, but I have seen Dark City, which is an interesting exploration on the same device. There, the forces that sub- subtly, subtly manipulate the world are trying to understand human characters and exploit that knowledge. They don't really have the same facade of benevolence. They're just kind of cruel experimenters. Um, but I, I do think that's a good film to look at if... if you know just as kind of a, a, a movie that's based on kind of phil dick themes well I uh, i guess that does it so um that's adjustment team I, I thought i had more to say about it because um but i guess not so um i guess that does it um Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, if, if you have any thoughts about urban planning in general, I'd love to hear them. Um, you know, What do you think Dick thinks about urban planning, if you've read his stories? Uh, what do you think of this concept of, of entropy? Is that a better way of reading this story? Or should we not focus so much on our material reality and try to look at it more of a, of a cosmic, got the question of reality itself, right? Is world peace or is a safe city? Are these things that are justifiable? Should we abandon some of our focus on democracy for other goals right like can the green city that's a good exact question like can ecology and sustainability be achieved via democracy or do you need kind of the indifferent bureaucracy to do that job for us certainly we can look today and say look you know china's building solar farms and wind farms and moving on towards you know green energy they want to get rid of all gasoline driven cars by the 2025 or something and have all electric cars you know maybe that's something that can be done in a dictatorship but you know it does it seems to be pretty slow going in some of the more democratic societies you know so is is bureaucracy what we need to get over the problems we're facing in the world today so let me know what you think about this you can write me at hundredpagescast at gmail.com or just uh, post below um and I'll be back shortly with another one of Philip K Dick's stories. Thanks for listening. One possesses my tired thoughts wrong. That leaving dies, that leaving dies, that leaving